1: The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. Uh, finally rested and recovered from a, a very inconveniently timed battle with the Rona that showed up right after the draft. Apologies for, uh, for missing a week of the show, but EJ had to, to get his rest in and fight his battles, but he's back. He's feeling better but uh how how are you doing now are you still feeling okay
1: i'm feeling pretty good um yeah kids don't get covid it's a bad thing i outran it for two years was really diligent uh stayed really diligent didn't get lazy uh but um got a good case of it and yes double vaxxed yes boosted still no fun (laughs) still like super duper duper no fun So, yeah, I'm feeling fine. Um, Didn't get bad enough to put me in the hospital or anything else, but I was not going to be recording podcasts in the middle of that. Um, So happy to be back in the saddle, um, back to doing the fun stuff, Um, back to not living in this room for 11 days. That was a good time, too. So, uh, yeah, I get to sleep in my bed out in the bedroom, which is really nice. Um, No, I'm looking forward to it, and it feels like, Feels like, you know, it was an enforced break, but we were kind of gonna take a break anyways, so we just uh we just lined that up and now we're now we're cruising through the off season and it feels like the season's really close. You see that, you know, 17 Sundays until the regular season and you're like, 17. Yeah. That's it.
0: There was a there was somebody put out a tweet. It's like, "Oh, we only have two more months till we we don't have any more weekends without football." And I'm like, "Already?" Yeah, wait, what? I didn't even get to summer vacation yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two months till camp. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I at some point in the summer, I will be doing something recreational and not football related before we get back to the grind. But uh, before all that, we're talking about UDFAs today. That is something that especially EJ uh, has near and dear to his heart is not just about the talent that you collect in the draft. It's about the talent that you collect after the draft and more importantly, after the draft for basically no money. There's a significant portion of the league that is undrafted and sticks around and has good careers. I can't remember the percentage off the top of my head, but it's a lot. It's
1: 66 from the fourth round all the way through UDFA. That's a lot of players. That is a large percentage of the league comes from the fourth round or lower, and that includes UDFA. So four, five, six, and seven, and then UDFA. That is a big chunk of the NFL you know and watch every weekend.
0: I think when uh, when Seattle was going on their run back in like early to mid 2010s, I think like 40 percent of their roster. It was at least 30 percent was under. No, it was more.
1: Yeah, it was more than half at one point. Um, and they, the first year that John and Pete were in office, they had 862 transactions that year. That's insane. Yep, it's it's unheard of. Yeah. They just churned. And it was that competition mindset of anybody that comes in can get a chance and anybody that plays will have a role. And a lot of people say that, but very few teams before that had lived up to it. And they just constantly turned the mill, right? If, if you were doing things, they, they worked the practice squad. They, they were extremely active when people got cut. They, they brought them in, took a look, bolstered their roster if they needed to, got rid of the folks that were not, you know, doing it for them on their roster. It was extremely active, um, even by NFL standards. That's how they got Doug Baldwin. That's how they got a lot of guys on those teams.
0: Yeah, and and Baldwin ended up being one of the best modern Hawks of that era. One of the best Hawks of all time, if we're being honest. Like, that dude could probably have a, a statue outside the stadium one day. The fans love him so much. But, yeah, no, that's how you end up getting players like Doug Baldwin, players like... Uh, aaron foster for all the texans fans listening um i mean the bears have had more great udfas than i can even count because they've been around for so damn long like you get great players from this crop so that's what we're going to talk about today is the best udfas we think in terms of landing spot and also some of the best overall udfa classes like some of the teams that had some UDFA classes where if they ended up being a draft class for some teams were, would have been totally acceptable. <laughs> cough, cough, Miami. So we'll, we'll kind of look at it from a macro and from a micro perspective. But before that, I want to get into some news and notes, clean up some uh, some little things around the league we got to talk about before uh, we get into UDFAs. Number one, James Bradbury is now a free agent, got released from the Giants because they desperately – desperately needed the money they couldn't even sign their own draft class unless they did this um, and I think it's unfortunate because Giants fans love James Bradbury. He's a good corner like very good corner um, you can debate about whether or not he's a solid number one or an elite number two it's it's all kind of the same pool to me but either way he should be a starting corner for the vast majority of teams in the league and he is now a free agent because uh, we talk about you know good roster management with UDFAs uh Dave Gettleman didn't do that and they were spending a lot for a team that didn't have enough talent because uh, they were not getting good cheap UDFA talent so they couldn't balance out their high price players with cheap talent and so they ran out of money and they didn't have a way to pay James Bradbury and sign their own draft class he's now a free
1: agent uh what's your kind of first reaction to that A really good player on the market late, and uh, some folks might say, oh, it never happens. No, it kind of happens every year. At least one or two teams run into a similar situation that it's, it's not always about bad cap management overall. Sometimes they just really would rather use the space for something else. This was a case of being up against it and not being able to do a sort of basic roster transaction of signing your draft. James, it shouldn't be a reflection on James Bradbury Is the first thing. He is still uh, an absolutely viable outside corner in the NFL, which is a really valuable commodity. So he should find a landing spot. Uh, we were talking pre-show that if you know Chicago hadn't addressed corner early in the draft, which I didn't think they were going to do, it was a big need, but it didn't feel like the one they were going to prioritize they did they drafted kyler gordon if they hadn't they would still have a gaping hole and some money and could look at signing him to a sort of one-year mercenary deal and i would be thoroughly happy with that if they didn't have kyler gordon there are some other teams and we'll talk about uh ones where he may be a good fit with some money again on a short-term deal so he can get turned back to the market next year but for this year It's a plus add. If you put James Bradbury on, like you said, a lot of teams as your outside corner, um, that's at least keeping the status quo, if not an upgrade for a lot of for a lot of clubs. So um, it will behoove some club that signs him. It's a bit of a surprise. But again, this happens every year with a handful of talented players who get turned out not because they can't play anymore.
0: Well, you know, you and I kind of were talking before the show about what teams does he fit because the corner market I mean just today Jair Alexander got signed for I think <laughs> 21 million a year which is yeah. the highest paid corner in the league um, there are a whole bunch of corners now making 18 19 20 21 million and James Bradbury's deal is going to scale off of that obviously he's not a top five corner so he's not going to get paid top five money but his agent is gonna try to get somewhere in the realm of $15, 16000000 million as at least a serviceable number one or an elite number two. And there's not a whole lot of teams that have that amount of money plus a need at the position for this year. If we're looking at, you know, maybe a team that wants to soften the blow over a couple years and I think could still use an infusion of talent at corner. You know, now we're talking about the Colts who have the ability, like looking at their cap space next year to kind of you know ha- take a little bit of a cap hit this year and then spread it out over to next year where they have 27 million dollars i think they could use another corner dallas has money this year but no money next year so depending on you know what's going to be happen uh happening with kelvin joseph god knows what that situation is there if they want to add another corner and try to make a run here with dak um which they could do like the nfc isn't As much of a slaughterhouse as the afc so you know dallas might be able to make a run here against tampa and la and all them i think bradbury would be a phenomenal add for them but it was actually kind of surprising when we were going through that thought exercise of like okay who has money and a need at corner and can do a mercenary contract just for this year it's like three teams
1: Yeah. It's not very many. Once you get over the 10 million mark of sort of disposable income that you could spend on one player this year. Um, and then you start looking at corner rosters and say, okay, is he a clear upgrade? Um, and, and you get down to that need again, do they need him? Well, the guy they got at number two is about that good or a little bit less that good, but is signed already. So do you need a third? Um, Dallas is interesting because of the Calvin Joseph situation. If there's going to be some interruption in his status based on his situation, they really have digs at outside corner. And then a bunch of guys that fit better inside. They've played Anthony Brown outside, but I think he's a better inside corner. So again, Bradbury would be a clear upgrade. They have the money for this year only. So that's one fit. Uh, And then the Colts again, They might not prioritize it in their overall team building strategy, but if they wanted to, he again would add a piece, a chip in their secondary that would be an upgrade they could afford it one or two years, um, but would help them lock down what looks to be a more explosive passing division this year than last. So, you know, do the stars align and, and sort of the team like that takes a shot? Well, if they don't, if one of those two doesn't, the list dwindles really quickly because again you said his agent's not going to take a beans deal right it's not going to be one year five million just to have james bradbury he's going to be looking for minimum 10 to 12 and that would be a one year only pure mercenary deal Mm -hmm. um you'd have to balance it out if you were going to take two years of control with a little bit more money either this year or next there are some teams that could do that but not very many and when you start looking at the corner rosters you're like eh there's not a clear, like gaping need outside of eh, two or three teams.
0: This kind of feels like, okay, he's 28 years old. He's still in his prime. We Mm -hmm. know he's a good, like he's a good player. They don't, they don't need to sell him to anybody. No, I almost get the suspicion. They're going to slow play this. See if somebody gets hurt over summer and get the leverage back and then be
1: like, you want to start in corner or not? It would give them more options for sure, because right now it's not, not a lot. Like if they go to the, if they sniff around and that's what his agent's job is, uh, if they sniff around the Cowboys and Cowboys are like, nah, we got other plans for that money, or we just don't think we need it. We're happy with Brown outside. That's cool. Uh, and they go to the Colts and the Colts kind of say the same thing. Hey, we're not going to spend the money there. Uh, You know, we'll take a cut rate deal if you've got it, but we don't expect you to, because again, you've got a corner in your prime at a, at a premium position. Um, there's not going to be a lot of places and the best option would be to sit and see if there's a big injury with a team that only has two outside corners and doesn't really have a young or developing backup option and is in a window where they're expected to go to the playoffs this year and compete a guy like Bradbury could be a very natural fit. He gets to skip a little bit of camp wear and tear as a veteran. That's not going to hurt his feelings at all. They
0: love it when they get a reason not to go to camp.
1: (laughs) Best thing ever. Ask Rob Gronkowski, right? Hey, I can report when and get what? All right, sweet. I'll do that. And Bradbury is somewhat similar there. So it would expand their market for sure. And again, those those types of things tend to happen. Somebody gets popped for PEDs and is gonna miss four to six weeks and really can't afford a slow start, you know, being behind the eight ball in the division. Hey, we're gonna free up, you know, ten million bucks and say, you know, you don't have another offer and we're a contending team. Does that sound good enough for one year and you can, you know, go ply your wares after the after the season's over? Maybe.
0: Second piece of news Tom Brady. In at Fox Sports eventually, whenever eventually. he retires in eight to ten years. Yes, exactly. Um, at the same time, Drew Brees is out at NBC. Well, sort of. There, sort there's of. been some cloudy r- reports on that. Um, yeah. it, I don't. I don't want to say it's like a he said. He said at this point, we don't really know what's going on with Brees, other than the fact that he's not going to be on uh, Sunday night football in america or whatever the the, the the show that they do uh before and after sunday night football is uh he's not gonna be on that show anymore um it sounds like NBC was not super thrilled with the job that he did uh with the wild card game he had i think it was bengals raiders was the game he had and so he's he was almost going to be like their tony romo that was like the idea when they brought in drew Brees. it just ended up not working out and then he put out a tweet saying he could come back and play. Yeah. I, no, no. That, <laughs> he was looking like he was on death's door by the end there, like his arm was shot. Yeah. And he's only a, another year older at this point. There's no way he's coming back, right? Let, let's let's not take the Saints out of it, because I don't even think uh. the Saints would take him to this point. Is there a quarterback needy team in the league right now that would take Drew Brees?
1: I don't think so. I don't think for the long haul or for the big money or for the sort of non-backup role that that he would be enticed by. Um, again, this isn't a terribly different situation than Bradbury, right? This could all look very different in August if a team that is expecting to contend loses a starter to a twisted knee in, an, in a training camp mishap. Right. Let's just throw out the team that many people have have speculated about, which is the Dolphins. Right. As it is, Dolphins are rolling with Tua right now. Like, but if Tua, you know, tweaks his knee, you know, two weeks before the season, and Drew Brees could have a starting spot for, you know, six to eight weeks that actually might be perfect do you want him for the back eight weeks of the season i don't um for the last two years he was in the league he really showed that december fade uh you can call it peyton manning arm late career peyton manning arm whatever you want like it did not look good down the stretch now coming out of the box fresh after a little bit of a rest sure that that seems great you know counting on that come playoff time, especially if they have to travel to somewhere it's cold outside. Like, I don't think that's going to be an easy sell. So again, it would have to be a near perfect situation for me. And if it's not, it just means he kind of can't spit the bit. I just feel like if
0: Baker Mayfield can't get a job right now, ain't no way Drew Brees is getting a job. And it's nothing against Brees like The veteran, if he still had an arm, I'd be all for it. I just don't think he has an arm. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he's just mad because the NBC story leaked, and so he wanted to put out a statement or something like that, but... He did ain't, say ain't he no could way. train
1: for the Senior Pickleball League, too. so we Okay, could, so that yeah, I'll accept. We I'll could accept see that. him dominating in pickleball, you know, in short order, I'm sure, because I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a bit odd because of the way the story came out. It wasn't from him. He didn't get control of it. Somebody else said it first. I don't think it hit anybody really unexpectedly. Um, anybody that watched Drew Brees, like, it was a learning experience for him. I don't think anybody would call him a natural, um, in terms of being a broadcaster. And he was both on the sideline and in studio. Neither one seemed, um, like, a again, sort of Robert Redford, the natural, right? He, he wasn't hitting them out of the park. They were, they were lining things up for him and tossing them, you know, soft tossing him stuff. And he was delivering, but that was pretty much it. It wasn't super dynamic in either setting. So I don't think anybody was shocked, maybe by the speed of it, right? One and done is not real typical. But anybody that saw those performances, I don't think went, oh my God, what are they doing? They're tossing talent, right? They were like, yeah, he he wasn't great. And it does take skill. We were talking about this uh, in terms of another empty seat prior to the to the show that it is difficult to make it look easy it is Tony does. (laughs) Yes. It is a real skill, um, to be seamless, to have the right piece of information, to have the right delivery, to have timing with your partner. Those are all things that require some skill and some savvies. Again, you said some people do it very well and some people, uh, you know, do it very well after a lot of work and some people just never do it very well. Um, You know, Drew was going to clearly be in the second two of those three categories. He was either not going to be great at it or he was going to have to put in a lot more work to get great at it. And I'm not saying he couldn't have. So maybe the speed surprised people, but the overall result I don't think anybody was shocked with after sitting through those broadcasts last year.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to his pickleball career. I think he could crush. Because I don't think the NFL career is coming back (laughs) at this point. Uh, Third piece of news, speaking of New Orleans, Jarvis Landry, Tyron Matthew, LSU legends, returning back to the Saints, or not, they never played for the Saints, but returning back home to play for the Saints. LSU fans are stoked, and in particular, I'm stoked because I'm planning, at minimum, possibly you might come along too, but at minimum me, I'm going to New Orleans for Bengals at Saints. I think it's week six. Just for an LSU overload of yeah. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyron Jarvis, all in the same building. Um, Saints fans get to you know throw banana peels at Eli Apple. Like it's gonna be the best regular game experience of the year. Not necessarily like the highest consequence game, but in terms of atmosphere, a bunch of drunk as shit LSU slash Saints fans all in one building yelling at Eli Apple and cheering for Joe Burrow at the same time. Can't beat it.
1: I can't, no, it's, that's NFL competition gold. And, uh, I've talked to some other people this week about these guys headed home and they all pretty much said the same thing. Hey, I'm always kind of a guy gets to return home story junkie. Like I like that, but especially with Tyron feels different. Like mm-hmm. he is so connected to that city not not just LSU but he is so connected to New Orleans that this feels different in a way it's the same story but it feels different um Landry's just kind of icing on top of that um yeah it feels it just feels right and good uh I'm happy that he gets the opportunity I'm happy that fans in that city get to see him strapping up the Saints helmet um you know, I hope it goes really really well like that's that's all I hope for a lot of players in this particular case it just feels like it would make really good storybook stuff and he's still a good football player
0: yeah and that's that's the thing is I think when you look at a player like Tyron with the history of Tyron, even though you know he he didn't get to finish his college career at lSU he's still so ingrained in the program in the community. He understands why what had to happen happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he really, uh, you know, talking to Patrick Peterson, one of his best friends, you know, playing with and and being mentored by Patrick Peterson in Arizona, you know, was able to turn his life around and become not just one of the best players in the NFL, like almost immediately, but like one of the best personality, one of the best stories in the NFL. And he's always been connected to New Orleans, regardless of the city that he played in, whether it was Arizona, whether it was Houston, Mm -hmm. whether it was uh, over in Kansas City, like he's always been, I don't want to say like New Orleans first, but you could always tell like that's what was in his heart. Mm -hmm. And for him to hopefully finish out his career in front of the fans that have loved him since before any other NFL city loved him. You know he's already got his ring. He's already you know potentially going to be putting together a Hall of Fame career. It's just it's a perfect ending, and it's the ending that I wish that more players could get because it's it's more rare than you think. But it's something I think should be commended and celebrated, and that's why I can't wait to go to that game because it's something that unfortunately we don't get to see that often, which is a, a legend return home and. And hopefully be able to put on uh, one last show for the people that, that raised him.
1: Yeah, it's 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 good in a lot of ways. It's also good from a football standpoint. He is not uh, a player that is at the end of his rope. He can still contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dennis Allen's is going to have a plan for how to use him well, um, which is not the subtext of this. It might be the supertext. Like, that's the, the whole point. Um, they brought him back, not just because he's a great ambassador for the city, but because they have a role. Um, it was pretty widely reported that it would happen. It happened again after June 1st, so that doesn't count against comp pick formula and a number of other reasons, but it it just seemed like it was lined up for multiple reasons. They could designate, they designated as a post June 1st signing. I think, or not, uh, not post June 1st, but post draft. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Sorry. I said June 1st. Good catch. Um, so, you know, it makes good football sense. It obviously makes good sense in every other um, arc that we've talked about. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be one of the really good stories of the league this year.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And with that, why don't we get, finally, to the main event of this episode. UDFAs, the best players that didn't get drafted, all the best free talent in the NFL. Uh, We got three UDFA classes we want to highlight. And then we're going to talk about individually three more players each around the league that we love the situation they went to, the talent fit, guys that you know we think have a, a very, very good chance to stick. Now, EJ, I know you, you tend to like to have a, a, a spiel when we do this every year at the top. Refresh everybody's mind and, and your general thoughts on the value of UDFAs and what they bring to a program.
1: Yeah, the the quick explainer on UDFA is for folks that don't know. UDFA is undrafted free agent. The UDFA process is essentially free talent in terms of draft capital. These are players that were not drafted during the seven rounds of the NFL draft. And uh, in terms of where they can sign, it becomes the Wild West um, even before the draft ends. Um, Jordan Rodriguez, who's the beat writer for the Rams, Did a great piece on what that process was like for the Rams and how their scouts are on the phone during the seventh round. Hey, looks like you might not get drafted. Are you interested? And all scouts from all teams are doing that. So the most desirable UDFAs, the folks that a lot of people thought were going to get drafted but aren't, are in are the center of some very direct competition between teams because you can pay them. You can give bonuses. There is money set aside for UDFAs, and you can say, hey, if you If you come to our program, we'll give you X number of dollars. That's the sort of most desirable. The way the players make these decisions is based on coaching and relationships. If they know a coach or coach came from their college program, they know a system, they think they're going to be able to thrive. That's one way. Um, Path to playing time, right? If there's only three receivers on a depth chart and you're a wide receiver, it's going to be a whole lot easier than if you go someplace where there's eight or nine people in front of you. Um, system fits again. Hey, they run a West coast system. They run an RPO system. That's what I ran for most of my time. Again, my integration that jump from college to the pros will be a little bit easier. And sometimes it's down as simple as geographical proximity, right? I'm not one of those bonus baby UDFAs. I'm not getting a lot of money for this. Um, you know, I live in Texas and Houston invited me and Cleveland invited me too. Well, I like warm weather and Houston's a lot closer. So I'm going to go there. Um, can be any or all of those things, a combination thereof teams that, again, you spoke about it at the top of the program, teams that do really well in this part of the process can basically double their draft haul. We've seen folks sign UDFA classes that would have been just fine as draft classes. Um, but they're able to do that for free. They didn't have to go out and get any more draft picks. And the money is extremely slight. Even the most expensive UDFAs are cheaper than a draft pick. sign so this is a huge talent pool that's available to the whole league some teams are very aggressive some teams not so much um and there's also camp invites which is a little bit different and just a note we're not going to be distinguishing between a udfa which is a signed player we're going to sign you to an undrafted contract or a camp invite which is exactly like it sounds show up at rookie mini camp if you stand out we'll sign you if not you're going home So it's a combination of talent after the draft between UDFAs and camp invites. Uh, We're not going to make that distinction. Uh, I tried to. Turns out a lot of the league isn't very good at record keeping in the offseason. If you go to the transaction page, I know, of your favorite team, (laughs) there are whole teams that haven't made an update in like two months including their regular draft class. So uh, they may have signed their class. They may not have and just put it on the transaction page. Other teams show in great detail everybody that they signed, but it's not consistent. So if we make a mistake or we mention somebody that's already, you know, been moved off a roster, forgive us. It is the Wild West and it's tough to keep up with this time of year.
0: Well, you mentioned UDFA classes that could be very easily mistaken for draft classes. Probably the best example of this entire year, Miami Dolphins. I think... not the most voluminous udfa class but in terms of the talent they pulled relative to a all these guys we thought were going to get drafted but b we thought we we were going to get drafted like decently high like in the middle of the draft and they pulled them as udfas zaquandre white from south carolina is a really really physically gifted running back uh Very new to the position, but all the talent in the world, and he's going to an offense that really knows how to use running backs and train up running backs under Mike McDaniel. So I'm sure he's got a plan for him. Tanner Connor, freak among freaks. I mean, his his size and his numbers is very similar to DK Metcalf. Like it's not quite the same acceleration off the line, but boy, it's close. And I know he played at Idaho State, which is probably why he went undrafted. But showed up at the Shrine Bowl and was dusting everybody. So. Kid can run. Uh, Braylon Sanders from Mississippi. Again, another receiver that I definitely thought was going to get drafted somewhere on day three, and he did not. Kellen Deach, one of the freakiest offensive line line prospects in this whole class. Obviously a little bit light in the pants, but in terms of movement skills, one of the better tackles in this class. And also a way better anchor than you expect for somebody who's like 300-ish pounds. Um, We got Verone McKinley. Uh, The third, excuse me, from Oregon, who I thought had a legit shot to be like a late day two safety. Really, really rangy, excellent ball skills, super instinctive. No idea why he went undrafted. I don't know if there's a medical thing or what. He never should have gone undrafted. There were so many safeties that got drafted that he is better than by a lot. And he went to Miami to go play with the other Oregon guy (laughs) who I thought was really undervalued last year, Javon Holland. They have pretty similar games in terms of how they play at free safety. So, the fact that Miami can put two guys back there in the deep post and get interceptions and have Javon, you know, run around in the slot, you can blitz them, put him at corner, whatever you want to do. While Verones, you know, still playing free safety just as well, super valuable and you get him for free. And then uh finally Tommy Heatherly, the punter from Florida International who I love telling this story because we we're going to talk about multiple UDFA punters in this episode. Heatherly was the guy day three of Shrine Bowl practice, 20 punts into individual period. I started clocking hang time. He was still hitting over five seconds, every punt after the first 20. His leg had to have been dog tired by then. He's still hitting five second hang time. So he's got a leg and getting him undrafted, um, special teams is a very underrated component. Just ask the Packers last year. If you're getting a punter that not just has distance, but has hang time. So he's not constantly out punting his coverage. Very valuable. I think he's got a legit shot to stick on the roster too. So as much as I like some of the guys they drafted, they got four, maybe five dudes in their UDFA class that I think have a legit shot to make the roster, which is not common.
1: Yeah, and they had a really limited number of draft picks this year, too. They had one of the overall smaller draft classes from just draft picks. So they kind of needed this, but they killed it in terms of not only the quality of the players they got, but also the fit, right? If we had, if I had said, what are my two or three favorite teams for a few of these players, Kellen Deesh won in particular because he does have movement skills that are going to be highly valued, uh, because of the attack, the rushing attack, specifically the Dolphins are going to run this year under Mike McDaniel. Like it would have been like the Dolphins or San Francisco. Like those are the places where I would have wanted Calendish to go first because of the type of player he is. And Zaquandre White, in terms of the speed and explosiveness, the, what those systems really require from their, one cut and dust them backs like sequandre white is square peg square hole like that is (laughs) absolutely perfect braylon sanders is just another they don't need a wide receiver but a guy like braylon sanders going undrafted wasn't super productive at old miss donterio drummond had more production on the other side but he made some really highlight catches and if he doesn't have to step in and be the sort of 1A, 1B guy, if he's the fourth or fifth wide receiver that you got, got, um, can play a little bit of special teams and, you know, maybe even just make the practice squad. Again, if a guy makes the practice squad off UDFA, it's a huge win. Yeah. It's free. So uh, McKinley, we both thought should be drafted probably, I would have said early to mid day three when he wasn't by like the end of round five, I, you and I both sort of looked at each other and went, huh, okay, uh, we're down to some safeties that I didn't like as much as him. Um, and in terms of specialists, UDFA is the place to get specialists. Punters, long snappers, kickers, bring in as many as you want. You need a kicker, go get three kickers, sign them all as UDFAs. Very few of them get drafted. Uh, you better be really committed if you're spending any more than a late seventh, uh, again, just to kind of put a tag on them and get them in your camp for a specialist. UDFA, go nuts. Get two long snappers, three punters, and two kickers. I don't care. It's all (laughs) free. Bring them in. Have a round-robin competition in rookie minicamp. Keep the ones you like and let them go. It's a very sound strategy for filling, again, important roster spots.
0: Second class we're going to hit on, uh, a little bit more voluminous, But I still think just as many potential guys that could stick on the roster here. Philadelphia Eagles, probably the headliner, I would say. Carson Strong, um, a quarterback who, you know, before the draft we said, if he goes undrafted, it's because the knee is fucked. He went undrafted. I can only surmise that means the knee is fucked. But in terms of, like, arm talent and just who's the best thrower of the football in this class, Carson Strong's in the conversation he he made some throws at Nevada that were just breathtaking, and so I think bringing him in just as a as a camp guy and see what he's got, see how the knee holds up if he sticks as a number three quarterback great again, it's a number three quarterback with that much raw talent can't go wrong with that, especially for no money. uh Kennedy Brooks, the bruising tackle breaking machine from Oklahoma. Keep bringing in running backs. See who sticks. Uh, we got Britton Covey from Utah, uh, William Dunkel, uh, the interior guy from San Diego State. San Diego State put like five guys in the league, I think, this year. Like they had a low key, pretty good team. Yep. Uh, Noah Ellis, the big ass nose tackle from Idaho. We're gonna have an interview going live over on the Clips channel with him pretty soon. Here, um, Alifa Yad, one of our favorite like low key value outside linebacker, like pure edge rusher types um saw him down at shrine bowl really loose hips great spin move better first step than you think like i think he's got it also a legit shot to stick on the roster as a rotational pass rusher um josh joby is it joby or job from alabama job
1: Job? but i could be wrong
0: because i didn't watch broadcast so i never heard him say the name so i didn't get pronunciation on him um the other 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 corner from alabama mario goodrich from clemson
1: who another corner who i thought might get drafted and he didn't which was a little bit weird i would say should have been drafted again if you look at some other folks that got drafted goodrich i think was one of those people early in the process that a lot of people got really high on and were like he's the fifth best corner in the class and when i watched him he's like he's not the fifth best corner in the class but he is a guy you draft on day three to see what you can get and yeah. that didn't happen either so again we don't have answers for all that. Uh, a bunch of you have reached out on Twitter and said, why didn't this guy get drafted? Why didn't this guy get drafted? And I've answered as honestly (laughs) as I can, which is, I don't really have any idea. And we don't normally get to hear for at least nine months. That stuff usually comes out. If it comes out at all between like the nine months and like year and a half mark where somebody becomes willing to say, Oh, you didn't know. And you're like, no, obviously I didn't. What, what do you know? And it, you know, an injury and off the field thing interviewed poorly, whatever it is sort of comes leaking out at that point. But at this point, everybody's like, no, no, they're worth a draft pick. And, and nobody wants to say anything. And rightfully so. I think that's fine. But we don't know. Uh, we think <laughs> based on talent and tape, they should have been drafted earlier. But uh, the reasons they didn't, we may or may not find out, but it'll be a little bit.
0: Well, to cap it off, they got another DB that I thought definitely would have been drafted, at least for special teams value. And that's Reed Blankenship from Middle Tennessee. Extraordinarily productive. Just tackling machine at safety. Like, multiple seasons over 100 tackles, whole bunch of PBUs. How he didn't get taken just for special teams value, I, I don't know.
1: He's one of those guys that I really feel like missed. And I hate saying that about guys that go back. He was on my list last year to watch and I was really excited. And I think if he came out last year, he gets drafted no later than the fourth or fifth round, probably even earlier than that. And he went back and he just, he didn't like fall off a cliff, but he didn't really improve either. And that gets countered against you. As you get a year older, if you have the same to slightly less results in the following year, that's seen as a loss. That's seen as a negative. Um, And I really feel like Blankenship's kind of the same player he was. Maybe not quite as good as last year, but pretty close. And last year, whether it be strength of class or just the fact that he he was coming off an ascension to that level, I feel like he would have gotten drafted in the middle rounds last year as a lock and this year i'm surprised he didn't get drafted but you know again philadelphia's gain they go out and sign a talented player for no draft capital um and they do it with a lot of these players we talked about carson strong that's a that's a gamble but again if you get anything out of him, it's well worth it especially because he's a quarterback Kennedy Brooks is really interesting because while he wasn't one of my favorite backs, he was in unique company of having an alignment of two measurables for running backs that really indicate, um, success for late round guys. And the other guys in that group were some of our favorites, uh, Damian Pierce, Saquandre White, uh, Zonovan Knight or Bam Knight from North Carolina state, Kennedy Brooks and Jerry on Ely are five Mm -hmm. guys that had that sort of nexus of interface of these two measurables uh, that really indicate success for late round running backs. Guys from last year's class that had those, for instance, were like Khalil Herbert was one of those guys last year. So Kennedy Brooks was in that sort of value add window and you know, Philly goes out and adds him. Dunkle is the third. If off. I can ask, what what
0: were the two it was it like
1: tackles, uh, tackle break a, rate or whatever. Tackle break rate and explosive runs. Percentage oh, of explosive runs. Like and, over fifteen
0: yards, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and percentage of uh percentage of runs you broke a tackle on. So gotcha. um it's a it's a weird little nexus and and backs that exist with good Good results in both of those tend to be very productive out of the later rounds. Because he so. he
0: did break a shitload of tackles.
1: He it's funny <laughs> because you you hear that group of backs and you go, well, that's a very different bunch of runners. Jaquandre White is one thing, you know. Bam Knight and Kennedy Brooks are another thing. on Ely is is another thing still, and Damian Pierce is somewhere in the middle. And again, ended up being a draft pick and, and was perceived to be the one that was going to be drafted the highest out of that group but it's it's a very interesting little group and and Brooks was the only one that I was kind of iffy on in that group the rest of the running backs in that group I really liked so um you know Philadelphia knew that as well and they add him to what is a talented room but again if you can get a guy that can come in even as an injury replacement midseason come off the practice squad you got him for free he comes in and gives you two or three decent games as a number 2 worth it well worth it and Dunkel from San Diego States, the third guy off that offensive line that ended up in a camp. Um, Noah, go check out the interview we've got with him. He's a fascinating player. Ali Fayad, same thing. Job and Goodrich, and Blankenship to add those guys to a needy secondary for free. I don't care if one of them works out. Like in a part-time role, you got them all for free to have all those guys in the same class and just... To be clear, these are not all the guys Philadelphia signed. These are the ones that we really like, that we knew about, that we'd looked at pre-draft, that we liked the fit of. There were you know, many more players in each class. These were the highlights, and that's a lot of highlights from a UDFA class.
0: A lot of highlights. I could say the same thing about the Cowboys, arch-rival of the Eagles, bringing in an absolutely absurd amount of talent through UDFA. And they did have uh, some areas on the roster that I felt were open for competition which made them a very attractive destination for agents not to mention uh lack of in- income tax probably matters for a lot of these guys too because if, if you're making sure. 100k and not paying income tax uh on that that matters it definitely matters but they got ty freifogel uh fun fact college teammate of or high school teammate of christian watson freifogel was the higher recruited guy out of that duo and watson ended up being the much better college player Funny how that works out. Uh, Dontario Drummond, the other Ole Miss wide receiver that we already talked about, who was literally twice as productive mm-hmm. uh, between him and Braylon Sanders. And so uh, we talked about Sanders We thought we'd get drafted. I definitely thought Drummond would get drafted. So not sure what happened there. Uh Peyton Hendershot, the tight end out of Indiana. A lot of people really liked him. Um, you kind of saw in like the last few weeks, people kind of diving deep on tight end and saying, oh, I like this Indiana kid a lot. So they ended up getting him for a value just to see what he's got. Alec Lindstrom was one of the better centers in this class. Um, still not 100% sure why he went undrafted because if we're looking for, like, pure zone centers, mm-hmm. there, was a, there was a few great ones in this class, but he was at least one of the four or five best zone centers. So uh, him going undrafted was was a surprise, but great value for Dallas. Big Cat Bryant, one of the most productive edge rushers in the entire college football landscape last year like his pressure rate was super high they ended up getting him Mike Tafua an older prospect uh, which a lot of people kind of knocked him for because they see it as okay here's a grown man beating up on children but you know the day again one of the most productive players in all of college football beating the shit out of kids you're still getting sacks you're still getting pressures I don't care he's he's worthy of bringing into camp seeing what he's got um, he's got a lot of talent to him so uh, Mike Tafua again older prospect but Highly productive. Aaron Hansford, uh, linebacker from Texas A&M. Who I thought had a pretty nice Senior Bowl week. Um, mm-hmm. Demonstrated some coverage ability that I didn't really see on tape at A&M, but he was still holding up in the one-on-ones just fine. So that intrigued me a lot. So I'm curious to see if he sticks on the roster for that. Uh, and then we got Marquise Bell from Florida A&M. Super talented safety prospect. Um, ended up going undrafted. I think at minimum, I'd throw him out at Gunner day one and just say, go kill people. Because I think he absolutely can and will kill people at Gunner.
1: Yeah. And then Wanye Thomas, who's the guy we saw at shrine bowl as well who uh was low-key one of the guys that came away from that week going i need to go back and watch his tape because he had some really quality reps against some guys who had really quality weeks at shrine bowl and he sort of low-key built buzz throughout the process i thought he might get drafted but if he didn't i definitely would have put him on the priority free agent list going backwards marquise bell one of my defensive gems Easily, to me, a third safety in a three safety setup, which is really common in the league. You've got a guy that's tall, 6'3", over 200 pounds, very fast, loves to hit, um, has no fear of being physical, quite the opposite. Um, plenty of TFLs, plenty of run stops in his repertoire in college. The edge rushers, again, premium position, you take a chance on an older guy, Um, actually both older players, big cat's been around for a little bit, but not lacking talent, right? Uh, probably don't want to spend a high draft pick on those players, but both had good measurables and really good production. Um, Lindstrom was surprising to me. Definitely seemed draftable. Definitely seemed like a player you take a shot on, on day three, um, solid serviceable, uh, really good resume in college. Seems to be that natural leader you want at the pivot, um, no idea why he didn't get drafted and then the receivers you know they they went and drafted a wide receiver to replace their losses there but gotta fill in behind him as well so uh fry fogel again a guy i think that had he left last year even in a very talented class had a better shot at getting drafted than he did this year because he had more buzz last year than he did this year and donterio drummond not super sexy but uh as a wide receiver pick, and I think a lot of people when we get down to gotta come up with a better name than skill positions, because all positions are skilled. But um when you come down to running backs and wide receivers specifically, people like flash, people like speed. Um they they tend to shy away from guys that just are productive but not particularly flashy doing it. Drummond's a big bodied wide receiver. He's about six three almost well over 200 pounds not the fastest not the most acrobatic not the highest jumper but really sure-handed physical and you know again was super productive was the number one target in that old miss offense so uh a bit of surprise that he didn't that nobody took a chance on him even late but again the cowboys gain and if you look at that class top to bottom you've got at least five guys that I thought had a very good shot to be drafted and they got them all for free. Plus the other fringe guys like one, y- y- Thomas, who I think are going to be productive players and just feel like that kind of player that you add as a UDFA starts out on special teams, works his way into the third safety as the rotation ends up having a seven or eight year career. We see these players all over the league and this is where they come from.
0: It's, it just baffles me, teams that don't invest a lot in the UDFA process.
1: I do they not always get
0: that. they always thin out like almost immediately. Uh, they take a couple injuries and they are fucked for lack of a better word. And so it's nice to see you know teams like Philly and, and Dallas like recognize like hey, we got some expensive guys. We got to pay here. We got a quarterback making well mm-hmm. at least the Cowboys do. They got a quarterback making like forty million a year. We need to make sure the roster doesn't thin out the the second you know we take a receiver injury. So it's Yeah, and even I, I will like, never I will never teams understand like teams Colts. that don't do it.
1: The Colts are a very good team, right? Yeah. They they have room to get better, but they're a very good team. They had the largest second sorry, second largest UDFA and camp invite class of the entire league. They're like 28 guys on their list, right? They're taking the shotgun approach. They're taking the old Seahawks approach of we're gonna bring all these guys in. And guess what? If that guy's better than you, he's gonna take your job.
0: And well, he's Chris cost... Ballard
1: knows what he's doing. That's he's a right. good GM. <laughs> and he's gonna cost less than you do. So for us, the Colts, it's a competitive advantage to go out and take a very wide scoop of this talent. And if none of them stick no skin off our nose, we may be paid, you know, 40, 50. Hundred and fifty thousand dollars total in signing bonuses for a handful at the top. Oh, yeah, like Jim Ursay cares about that. He just he, in terms of NFL money, that is <laughs> pocket change. That is nothing. Yeah. They will never miss it. Um, you know, the field maintenance budget for you know a couple of months is probably that. So if you get any players out of that, again, fill-ins, practice squatters, developmental guys, special teamers that are returners only that you don't necessarily want to spend a draft pick on, like. Why not? And I, I too have been, I just think it's arrogant of NFL teams. When you see that they signed like four UDFAs, I don't care how many draft picks they had. You know, a lot of them did not have 10 or 12 draft picks. They had six or seven and they signed like four UDFAs. And you're like, really? You're that certain about all your injuries you're that certain about all your young players developing you you're that certain that out of the largest draft class and we've talked about this all year long the largest draft class in a long time that there are four guys that you would sign up for free to see if they hit really that's it it just seems arrogant and a little bit lazy to me
0: by the way not to completely derail the show slight note on the colts alec pierce There's buzz that he was absolutely destroying everybody in a little minicamp there. I I think they might have something here. He
1: fits so well with them and particularly so well with them since Matt Ryan. Yes. Like when you get Matt Ryan and then you draft an Alec Pierce and they go with, (laughs) uh, you know, The receiving talent they already had in house, like all of a sudden it just goes hand in glove, and the fit comes together, and you go, ooh, (laughs) ooh, like uh, we're talking about UDFA fits, but that's a draft fit that we'll talk about during the the preview episodes. That's just like they were waiting for a player just like him, and he was it, and they got him. And if it doesn't work out, we will both be terribly surprised because all the arrows are pointing towards some pretty good production and right off the bat. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done. Well, inside to outside repairs to renovations, get started on the Angie app. visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
0: A couple honorable mentions because I know we're going to get plenty of comments. So why didn't you talk about this UDFA class or that one? We do have some other teams that, that we heavily considered throwing in here, but for the sake of not having a three hour show, uh, we didn't want to include all of them, but some honorable mentions here at the Ravens, the Bengals, the lions, the chiefs, the saints, the 49ers and the Titans all had very good classes themselves. I'm sure our wonderful editor Jay will throw up some graphics here and there showing everybody that they got. Uh, Also remember if you're a a patron to the show, we're kind of like putting our whole breakdown on, on certain class or at least, you know, our list of, uh, of really favorite UDFAs per team up over on the Patreon. So if you're already a patron, keep an eye out for that. It's probably already up by the time this shows out, but uh, yeah. So those are some of our honorable mentions. I do want to move real quick over to our standout signings now these are three guys individually like not taking a whole class into account individually around the league three of each of our favorite signings that we just could not go through this whole show without talking about my trio um probably pretty predictable if you if you watched any of my pre-draft content either here over or over on film room um i could not believe that that Jack Sanborn was just sitting there for Chicago. I thought he was one of the most stable linebackers in this whole class. Um, he was the cleanup crew for Wisconsin's defense. He was the guy who every time, you know, Leo Chanel would get in the backfield and just create a mess. He was always back there just kind of sifting and sorting and waiting to clean everything up. Tackle machine, super smart, almost like a. I, This is going to sound really weird. Like a poor, poor man's Matt Milano. Like he's not quite as athletic as Matt Milano. He's not a bad athlete. Matt Milano's a really good athlete. Um, But he does the same kind of role of Matt Milano where it's like everybody up front is just causing havoc and Matt Milano's just kind of scooting over there to make his 10th tackle of the game by the middle of the third quarter. Jack Sanborn's that kind of guy. I'm curious to see how much playing time he gets because they did sign some other linebackers, but... He was a phenomenal value for them. Uh, My second one, Ryan Stonehouse, the other punter, (laughs) UDFA for Tennessee. Got a couple punter stats for you here. So he was actually, fun fact, first-team all-conference punter, freshman, sophomore, and junior year. He only missed out doing a full sweep his senior year because punt God got a whole bunch of press (laughs) and beat him out for first-team. But up until then, he was the best punter in the conference for three years. And I would argue – still the best punter in the conference even with punt god in there he actually has the ncaa record at 47.8 yards per punt over five total seasons he maintained that average over five years and he's the ncaa record holder for yards per punt which is nuts he had one punt last year uh, against vandy that was from the seven talking about guys with big legs and punt god got all the press from the seven It got downed at the opposing 13. It was a net of 80, and it was a fucking (laughs) rocket. So, kid's got a leg. He's got location. I would argue that he's an even better punter from a location perspective than Matt Ariza, but still has that kind of leg. Getting him as a UDFA when Ariza was one of the punters that got drafted in like the sixth round. Um, I think they potentially got an even better player and a, and a weapon as weird as it is to say a weapon on special teams. And then uh, finally to wrap it up for me, we got Jojo Doman and I, and Nephi Sewell. I couldn't decide between the two. So I put it as a tie, uh, both of them undersized like coverage linebackers, sub package players likely will not get any early down work at all. But if you're getting a coverage linebacker, that can stick to a running back on third down and not completely get pants in space absolutely worth bringing him in there just for that role and that role alone. I think they're both going to stick on rosters for that reason.
1: Yeah, and we've got an interview with Nephi over on the Clips channel, which is a great one cuz he's he's a sharp tack. Obviously comes from a football family, but he uh he had the fire behind his eyes. Uh was very uh I loved his responses. They were very measured. You could tell he's super thoughtful um about what he wanted to talk about and how he wanted to represent uh, his game and the game of folks that he played with, um, one of my favorites. So check that out on the Clips channel for Nephi. That that one went up uh, about a week ago. And um, one of the one of the more fun interviews we had in terms of a guy that just really understood his role, uh, and I think will absolutely stick on a roster. I'd be shocked if he didn't stick in some capacity on New Orleans roster.
0: Now in terms of punters, who was your favorite
1: in this class? I can't remember who you uh, had. Star one jordan stout from Penn oh State. that's right yeah jordan stout was my guy and he was also the first punter drafted that's right he was yes, it was like he was. fifth round right something yeah. like that yeah i think he was the best punter in this class and there were some really good ones there were two great ones at shrine that we got to see up close obviously punk guy got a ton of press stout got uh some sort of undercurrent press uh and then you know there there were even more so it was a really good you know we're going to we're going to back ourselves into a corner we're going to paint ourselves into a corner and have to scout specialists next year but um even without that it was a very um very good class for punters if you needed one bears drafted one because again they're moving on from punter they drafted late five picks from the end uh with some of those extra picks that that uh, Ryan poles picked up
0: i remember rapaport rapaport said during the draft that a special teams coach told him that this was the best punter class in league history and I'm like, there you go. Oh, okay, you go. sure. We'll take your
1: <laughs> word for it because we we don't have a comparative metric. But there were a lot of punters to choose from if you needed a punter. So uh, UDFA is a great way to get one. Who did you have for your standout three? Uh, for my three, I went with Donovan West, the center uh, from Arizona State. It was the center that played with Kellen Deach. Again, I think has the capacity to grow into one of the best zone centers in this class, if not the best. Um Really good size, great movement skills, and that fit with San Francisco is, again, the perfect system. If he'd gone to Miami, I'd say the same thing because they're going to run a very similar system. Anybody that's going to run a bunch of outside zone, Donovan West was going to be a fit for, ended up in what I think is probably the perfect place or the best place for him to have a good career. in. Um, another one is somebody we met at Shrine and, and had an interview with, Armani Rogers, tight end uh, for Washington from Ohio University. Uh Washington understands how to do this. They've done it with their previous tight end. Take a quarterback and turn him into a tight end. Uh did it with Logan Thomas. So uh it's a good landing spot for Armani Rogers, the convert to tight end who played quarterback for most of his college career. Um, big guy with with move skills, just another offensive weapon. Um I yeah, not really sure about the quarterbacking for the commanders. Once they get that dialed in, there's they have a lot of weapons that they've assembled in that offense, and it's, it's going to be highly productive when they figure out who the trigger man is for that. Uh, and then at the end, uh, it's a couple of guys, both A&M defenders, that ended up in different places. Um, Jaden Peavy, the interior defensive lineman going to Tennessee, again, a lockstep fit with the defenders that Vrabel likes. PV, watching the AM defense this year, you know, people started with DeMarvin Leal. Uh, yep. <laughs> and and went to the opposite side, for Michael, Michael Clemens. Michael uh, Clemens, yeah. They went to the Jets. But both Johnson, uh, so the other guys, Tyree Johnson, the edge that went to Pittsburgh. And again, fits exactly what Tomlin wants out of his edges in Pittsburgh. Whereas Jaden Peavy gave me some serious kind of like jarrell casey ish vibes i'm not saying he's the same player but like i thought yep that's a i saw his name on tennessee's list and went oh that's a perfect landing spot for him so pv and johnson both end up in systems in the pros that really are going to you know best utilize the skills that I saw. I actually had to make a number list for A&M because they had the safety as well. We talked about their linebacker earlier. Um, so they had guys at every level. They had four or five guys on the line They had a couple of linebackers. They had uh, safety. So I had a list and it was like, okay, what number is that guy? Okay, that's that's Peavy, that's Johnson. They all had some really good things that showed up, whether it was hustle, whether it was the ability to set the edge, whether it was uh, you know stoutness against double teams or penetration or whatever it was. There were notes I made about all of them, and to see them end up in systems where they can really thrive uh, gives me a lot of hope for their NFL prospects.
0: I found myself, and I'm, I'm sure you had the same thoughts. In fact, I'm sure a lot of people in draft media had the same thoughts, where we all kind of had this collective moment, probably like around the first week of April, where we're like, shit, that Texas A&M front seven was... (laughs) Hey, dudes! (laughs) Low-key, really good. Like, the secondary had problems. They had real problems on the back end. But man, the front seven was... had like six NFL players yeah. <laughs> like if we're, if we're talking about next year too like right was, and
1: they didn't it it's funny because they didn't uh you know they still their stats weren't great like the offense the offense and the offensive line was better the rushing attack was was better or more high profile whatever you want to put it
0: six or seven programs in the nation can say oh we had five Five to six NFL players just in our front seven.
1: Yeah, talented group. And again, that all flashed in different ways at different times. And uh, I ended up, you know, in my first couple of watches, confusing several of them. Oh, was that Mm -hmm. Clemens? Oh, no, that was Johnson. That was Johnson. Okay, you know, eight, not seven or whatever it was. Um, And you start to think, man, if I'm confusing the guy that I'm watching and the guy I'm watching is pretty good. Uh, another guy's probably pretty good too, even if it's in limited reps or um, doesn't have the <laughs> and, consistency. And then
0: Leal would do something and you're like,
1: oh, right, that's who I was supposed to be watching this whole time. <laughs> right. He would move to the outside and do something, which was kind of the key that both of us came away with from independent film work of man, the farther outside you get him, the more dynamic he is. I I don't want him playing one or zero and they had him playing one or zero a lot. So, um, no, it was a fun front to watch. It was a fun defense to watch. Uh, and you know, Again, having talent, we weren't the only ones to see that. Like, scouts saw that for their coaches and went, I think you'd like this. And coaches took one look and went, Yeah, I'd like that. Why don't you get him? And doesn't get drafted, ends up in a camp for free, and has a really good chance to stick. Or both of those guys, I think, have really good chances to stick in those programs.
0: So, I think that'll wrap it up for the UDFA special for the year. But we have an absolute metric shit ton of content coming over the next. I don't know, two months or so till we finally get back into football season, as yeah. it were. Um, why don't you give the folks a little little rundown about what we got coming, because I think I think we worked out the total number of episodes. and it's, it's like yeah. over forty between. Yeah, now we and... teased
1: <laughs> it that the divisional previews were going to look a little bit different, and and uh-huh. for those of you that follow along and have followed along for the last couple of years, a thank you, and b you kind of knew this was coming. We had a couple of four hour episodes last summer, which is dumb. (laughs) Like that's just not a smart way to do content. So we talked about it, uh, really as early as the middle of last summer in the middle of that going, this is insane. We have to do something different. So we started kicking around ideas and what we settled on is that we're going to do an episode for each team and it's going to be very much the same. There'll be a few tweaks and surprises in there, but we are still going to cover Basically, every aspect of what a team did in the offseason. Who is the coaching staff? What is the system? What is the personnel that they lost? What is the personnel that they gained, both from free agency, the draft, UDFAs? What do we think their prospects are? Um, what are we really excited about, uh, and sort of what we think the liabilities might be. And then at the end of each week, we're going to do a divisional wrap-up that really talks about how those teams interplay within that division, considering they all have to play each other twice, who we think some of the standout rookies might be, all the extra stuff that really made those two-hour episodes into three- and four-hour episodes. So each episode for the team, we figure is probably going to be about 90 minutes, because that's about what it was last year. We just Jacked all of them together, and it was way too much. So, uh, be looking for those. We'll be doing each division inside of a week, so we'll have eight full weeks of content. We'll have a break somewhere in the middle, probably around July fourth, uh, so that everybody can go get their barbecue on and and not miss any. Um, again, we'll have those wrap up pods at the end of the week, so we'll have content each day for pretty much eight straight weeks. Which those of you who are bootleg diehards are probably celebrating about. Um, those of you that aren't watching this and hate bootleg well no problem we're just more fuel for the fire um but we're we're excited about it uh certainly we wouldn't be able to do it uh if we didn't have jay's help our new editor uh yes we have talked to him about it this will not be a surprise to him we didn't just mortgage yeah, this whole I, summer I, without us I asking. still
0: feel feel bad for what i did to slater i got on bottle of rum before draft season i was like buddy you don't know what's going to happen here and um <laughs> ended up being even more work than i thought so i, I think i might yeah. get him another bottle as a, yeah as a sorry. Not, to,
1: not to say we won't buy jay gifts because <laughs> jay has done us uh several solids already in the very short time he's been working with us uh we know you all have appreciated that content and have been very vocal about that in the comments we really appreciate all that the things you like the things you don't like the things that he's doing great the things that we're doing great um Tell us about all that stuff, because we're just trying to make this content better for you. That's the whole reason that we produce it. But we're excited about the Summer Slate. We enjoy the series. It got a little (laughs) little ponderous (laughs) last year. Uh, We think this is going to be a tighter format and create some even better content. So uh, we're looking forward to it, and we hope you are, too.
0: More content overall. Just better organized and uh, a lot less mentally draining to put together. That's for (laughs) damn sure. I, I, I'll tell you this. Editing a three-hour show is not something I would ever wish upon, Jay. It is. It's that is, a, that, is a, that is a fresh hell, I will say that. So uh, thank you, everybody, for, for watching and listening, however you may consume the show, whether it's on YouTube or any of our podcast distributors. Uh, really appreciate you sticking around this long if you're still here. We'll be back next week with something. We haven't decided on a topic yet. If you have any ideas, feel free to drop them in the comments below, something you want us to talk about. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back with the show next week. So until then, later. Take care. Look around.